Welcome to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast, all about real estate investing in the Calgary market. Today's show is sponsored by Mikasa Home Inspections, Calgary's top-rated home inspection company. Mikasa understands that the highest quality of service is essential, so make sure to call Mikasa before your next real estate deal. And now your host, Corey Peckford. On today's show, I interviewed Devin Gray. He's an investment-focused realtor in Edmonton. We start off with a high-level overview of Edmonton and then dive into all things real estate investing for Edmonton and area. If you've been getting value from the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. It would be greatly appreciated. Hey, Devin, just want to welcome you to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. How's it going today? It's going really good. How about yourself? Oh, going awesome. To start off, could you just tell the listeners about where you are and what you do, that kind of stuff? Sure thing. So I'm located in Edmonton, Alberta. I'm uh, born and raised here, other than just uh, moving around Western Canada in my early 20s for a few years. I've been in Edmonton all my life. I've been a real estate agent for four years. My brokerage is EXP, and I'm part of the Mogul Realty Group, which is owned by James Canal, which has been around for about five or six years. And we are investor-focused realtors focusing on the Edmonton area, and we also have an office in Vancouver. Awesome. And then what, what did you do before you got into real estate? As a, well, I've been in real estate for 17 years. My wife and I bought our first property back in 2007 as investors. But what I did for most of my adult life was I was in the radio industry. I spent uh, in my early 20s, which was when I was moving around Western Canada, I was uh, an on-air announcer. And then I got smart and decided to chase the money and got into radio sales. And up until 2016, I worked at Chorus Entertainment, which in Edmonton is a cluster of stations, uh, 630 Chad and Kiss and Country down in Calgary. It would be QR77 and Q10, or uh, sorry, Country 105. I was there for over 20 years, half as a salesperson and half as a sales manager. When I left Chorus, I uh, really had a pull for real estate, decided I wanted to move into the real estate world. So I actually got into seniors housing for a couple of years, which is a massive industry that nobody really knows about. I was there for two years as a director of sales and marketing at a small company that has about, uh, well, they're up to about 10 or 12 buildings now, but I was there, they had eight buildings. And then, as I said, four years ago, got my real estate license. Oh, that's amazing. Quite a journey. Does that... Doing something like this must kind of take you back to your radio days, does it? Well, funny, yes, uh, it does actually. So uh, it's it, it definitely has. Uh, you know, you you learn to speak in front of a microphone. You learn to speak in front of people. So it's it's never been uh, too difficult for myself. I'm married to somebody that uh, we met in the industry. She's still very active in the industry. She's on radio and and uh, does TV commercials, and she's done some local produced commercial or uh, movies and and uh, all sorts of stuff. She does local MC work. So. Whenever I'm feeling uh, like I need some advice or need to push myself forward to get better in this social media on-camera vein, she's a fantastic resource to help me get better. So cool. Too bad you couldn't be on here with us today. <laughs> I believe me, she uh, when I told her about it uh, yesterday, because I'd forgotten that, yes, of course, she would love to be on here. And I share, her name is Tracy Gray. And I, we, most of the stuff that we do for social media, like um, our own uh, weekly Facebook live event and that we, I, I co-host it with her because uh, she's fantastic and, and is always very good at making sure that we're doing the best job we can. 
Yeah, that's awesome. And so just to take us back or take the listeners back. So you said you bought your first property, rental property in 07. And then can you just kind of give us maybe a bit of a high level, what that journey looked like and where you are today? Yeah. So I think that, uh, I don't know, but quite a few people, when they talk about the first thing that caused them to want to potentially look at investing in real estate might go to the Rich Dad Poor Dad book from Robert Kiyosaki. That was certainly mine. I read the book and as opposed to thinking that these seminars that came to town were a scam, I decided to actually take one and go to one. It was a three-day seminar and for sure they tried to sell you every hour, but I learned a tremendous amount of information. It was put on by a gentleman out of the States named Wright Thurston. And there was lots of other information and just work to educate. And, uh, you know, that started in about 2005. Uh, we finally were ready to pull the trigger on our first property in 2007. And uh, then the journey has been, yeah, certainly some highs and some lows. Um, we've focused on the Edmonton market uh, with buy and hold. We've also done a flip and uh, done some creative strategies with agreements for sale and also had gotten into vacation property, which we've now moved on from, but uh, we purchased a property in BC and owned that for a little bit of time. So certainly, uh, and each one has been a journey for sure. You know, some good, some mistakes and learning processes, but that's what uh, you build upon to help yourself uh, move forward. Oh, neat. And then with, with your senior housing experience, did you ever consider maybe venturing into that space and, and looking at owning one yourself or anything? Had you ever considered that? Uh, oh yeah, for sure. And had a couple of conversations and it's still in the back of my mind. It's you know, the conversation we used to have with a, a lot of people was, uh, you know, the baby boomers are now in their mid seventies. The interesting thing about that industry is, you know, I, I would tour people that were 88 years old in one of these, one of our buildings. And they would say, well, I don't want to live here. This is full of old people. <laughs> so I love that they were always perpetually feeling that they were youthful, but uh, it's a rapidly changing industry. There, there's tremendous opportunities. And as this massive glut of people, the baby boomers that a lot of people have kind of moved on from, because now it's all millennials and Gen Z and all that stuff, there is a tremendous opportunity there. So it's it's certainly in the back of my mind for sure. And, and something that... Uh, uh, I would potentially look at pursuing in the future. Yeah, yeah, I bet. So just to circle back, so my son started reading, he's only 12, he started reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And uh, to the listeners, I guess, it's kind of cool that a 12-year-old wants to read it, but then on the flip side is I have to kind of keep on him to do his schoolwork and stuff because <laughs> now he wants to be an investor and you know invest in real estate. And I'm like, oh, you got to get your education first. Like school's important, right? Uh, so. Yeah. Yeah, a little word of caution about letting <laughs> the preteens yeah. read that book. Yeah, great, uh, great that they've done that. Actually, um, I had my, I've got a 17-year-old son and a 15-year-old son and a 15-year-old said, you know, dad, come this summer when I'm done school, I, I would like to have a conversation with you more about real estate because I hear you can make some money in real estate. I said, well, yes, you can. I said, there's lots to learn. But uh, so I'm excited about that because uh, certainly there is an opportunity for both of them to put themselves on a on a path to, as I said, I mean, if you hunker down and, and get into this seriously, when you get into, you know, 19, 20 years old, I said, you could be pretty much financially good to go by the time you, uh, you hit your early 30s. For sure. Yeah, it rubs off. Like, even yesterday, I just opened bank accounts for my daughter and my son for the first time. And the first thing out of my son's mouth was he put the pin in the lady at the teller, how do I open up an investment account? And, and then oh, she's wow. like, yeah. And, and I'm like, 
uh, that's for another day. She's like, oh, you have to book an appointment. We can't do that here. And I'm like, oh, you got to actually hustle and make some money in that account first. And then, then we'll book that appointment, right? So great stuff. <laughs> okay. So I, I was digressing, but let's dive into all things uh, real estate in Edmonton. You know, I'm quite familiar with Edmonton, but if you could just give our listeners maybe just that 10,000 foot view of Edmonton and uh, the real estate market there. Yeah. So when I'm talking to a lot of uh, investors from outside the province, we deal with a lot of BC investors. Uh, we do first off like to talk about the Alberta advantage no provincial sales tax, no land transfer tax, which I laugh that I have to repeat that once or twice. Yes, there's no land transfer tax. <laughs> uh, so right off the bat, they're they're sold. But also from a standpoint of uh, arguably the most friendly uh, landlord tenants uh, rules and regulations in terms of being able to evict and being able to increase rents, uh, no rent controls, various things like that. So I do like to start talking about that from an Alberta standpoint. From an Edmonton standpoint, um, the uh, the population of Edmonton proper is just shy of a million people. We do have a lot of outlying communities that technically, if if everybody was willing to create this super city, we probably would be 1.3 million. But all these small town communities um, have made it very clear, certainly for the next 10 plus years, that they have no desire to be part of Edmonton. So we have areas like Sherwood Park and St. Albert, Leduc, Beaumont, Fort Saskatchewan that do make up about another 300,000 people. But anyways, back to Edmonton proper, just being shy of a million people, expectation with immigration and migration from other provinces because of the diverse economy and just the Alberta advantage, the expectation is Edmonton should double in size by about 50 years. And uh, so we're going to go from one to two million people. And the city is very focused on densification, making sure that 50% or half a million of those people are going to be living on the current footprint that Edmonton has right now. Now, there's four reasons for that. The first one, obviously, is environmental. We want to do our part and not expand. The second one is the cost, infrastructure. It costs money to build new schools, stretch out transit, build new roads and, and uh, utilities and stuff like that. The third one is we actually, we, we're not landlocked like Toronto or Vancouver, but we are landlocked in the fact that we run into all these communities. We're bumping up against St. Albert and Sherwood Park. And there was a, a land grab a few years ago between Beaumont, Leduc and Edmonton in regards to annexing. I mean, Edmonton basically just a lot of people, that's why the joke was it was called the Leduc International Airport because it was in the county of Leduc. Well, a few years ago, Edmonton scooped up the airport um, and made it part of the city. Uh, but the biggest reason of all as to why the city is big into densification is taxation. You know, right now in the center of the city, we've got these old houses. Um, they're sitting on 45 by 140 size lots or, you know, in a perfect world, a 50 foot wide by 150 long. And it's a 600 square foot teardown. And so the city is encouraging people to buy these houses, tear them down and either divide the lots or build duplexes or something like that. And you can take a $400,000 piece of property and potentially turn it into a million dollars worth of property. And so obviously they're tax, taxing on that. So we also like to talk about diversification. I remember when in the, you know, the 2005 to 2009, you know, uptick in real estate, as good as things were in Edmonton, we always looked down south at Calgary and thought, well, how come we're not burning as bright as Calgary? And uh, we've certainly found out why that is over the course of the last five years. We didn't burn as bright because we don't suffer as badly as Calgary does during a slowdown. 
Um, and the reason for that is we are a lot more, uh, we believe, a lot more diversified, along with obviously having more blue collar focus on oil and gas. We also are the Alberta capital, which means we're a government town. We also have a, a huge influence on education. You know, the Alberta Teachers Association is located here and the school boards and also um, uh, heavy uh, focus on healthcare. And then the last thing as well is we actually have I've quietly, which is now starting to become better known, but we've got a very strong tech sector. I remember a few years ago reading an article that said that back then there was over a thousand companies with 10 employees or less in the tech sector in Edmonton. And an article that actually just came out about a year ago said that Edmonton was a top 50 city in North America. So Canada, the US and Mexico, um, Edmonton was was a, a top 50 city and, and Calgary wasn't on that list. And so that diversification is what keeps Edmonton a little more steady and continues to drive people to Alberta, not just for gas, but also for these other, other uh, opportunities. And so um, from that standpoint, we feel the future is bright for Edmonton. Yeah, you, you shared a lot of awesome information. It's, and it's amazing you didn't even mention the mall. <laughs> the iconic mall. <laughs> well, when I do have people coming in, you know, it's like, did you want to see the mall? Did you at the mall? And about 50% of the time, they do for sure. And then, you know, probably one out of every three says, we've already got plans to go there. Don't worry about it. Yeah, no, you have to see it when you're there for sure. It's and big news with the mall. They uh, they are shutting the Mindbender roller coaster down. They just announced that uh, yesterday. Uh, after 37 or 38 years, it's officially closed. They're tearing it down and they're going to build a new attraction there. So that was some pretty big. I think that was a uh, the third story in on the evening news last night. Interesting. It does need some updating. That uh, they they the quietly. Yeah, the West Edmonton Mall—they're not sharing why they're doing that, but we—but there were some other comments about that the track, the, the tracks in rough shape, so it's not safe anymore. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then you got the Rogers Center there too, right? So a lot of the big venues, what I know as an Albertan, that can't actually fit in our stadium here in Calgary will go to Edmonton. Yeah, that's actually been an advantage for Edmonton for a while. My understanding for sure. I think there's a, a noise bylaw at McMahon Stadium, and then the Saddle Dome with the shape of the roof can't allow a lot of the rigging um, from a lot of these shows coming through. So we do get, a, we have, we've for a long time had the benefit of uh, getting a lot of concerts coming through and uh, yeah, there's a, there's a full slate of concerts. And then the nice thing as well with Rogers, uh, I was just at the hockey game last Saturday and um, it's kind of an interesting feeling to be talking to your friend after the game to say, where do you want to go for a drink afterwards? And you know, you're like here, 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 here. I mean, it's just this multitude of, opportunities and they're all out the door although it was very cold and very windy so even a one block walk to get to where you wanted to go was too much so thank yeah, goodness yeah. out of the pedways in the city that's <laughs> and another I'll, advantage is do you know of anything like I, i've been around there and some of that area is a little you know it's a little bit run down it's it's a bit of a i've heard some people have tried short-term rentals close to there and they didn't work out do you is there any sort of gentrification or you know money being put into that area close to rogers stadium that you know of there is a long-term plan from the Oilers Entertainment Group that immediately north of the of the, of the arena, which is is a very rough area. They have plans and either have already purchased that property or they're. I mean, they've announced that they're doing this, so I would assume that they've they've got some sort of interest in the properties and just to the north. But yeah, they're they're going to uh, take down a lot of the old buildings in that rougher area, and they've they've got plans for something like ten different um, 
eight to 14 story buildings and, you know, parks and shops and, and serving or making an attempt to build that up. And I see no reason why they shouldn't because they've come through on everything that they've suggested so far. Uh, you know, the Stantec tower got built largest, largest building West of Toronto. Uh, the GW Marriott is a, is a real um, definite place to go, to go see. It's a, is a real upscale restaurant or sorry, hotel. And then there's the, that the outdoor pavilion and they, you know, they've got a skating rink there and, and, uh, People that would have seen the Oilers uh, in the playoffs last spring would have seen where you know five or six thousand people would come down every night to just stand there outside and and watch the hockey game on the big screens. And so it's become a real um, heart of of Edmonton, and and the the hope is to certainly expand that out. But yeah, the city definitely it's an interesting time for the downtown core right now because there's a lot of great things that are happening. But at the same time, you turn a corner and all of a sudden you're like, oh. Things, uh, you know, things have dramatically changed in the downtown area here. So there, I know there's a lot of talk and plans on trying to clean all that up. Nice. Yeah. Probably would have been a great place to buy some properties and hold them until like this, something like this happens. Right. And they get, they buy. Them. Yeah. Well, actually in my going all the way back to when I was in radio sales, definitely talked to some business owners that uh, bought some uh, buildings um, that are, have got bars and restaurants in there and, and they, they, Bought it before there was shovels in the ground, but just knowing that the, the arena was going ahead. And so they definitely went through, through some lean times in waiting for that arena to get built. And, and now, of course, they really are enjoying the, uh, the, the fruits of that, uh, of that waiting game by uh, being full all the time and, and stuff like that. Because, you know, you've got, uh, you've got the 41 games plus uh, a few exhibition games for the Oilers. You don't really get that dynamic with the Oil Kings, which is the junior hockey, because that's more families. But then you you know you're getting twenty or thirty concerts through there as well, um, and various other events. So you know I'm, I'm sure that that building is. I, I know that uh, the old building, the Coliseum or Rexall Place, was being used over 250 times a year, and I'm sure Rogers Place has um, has a lot of aspirations to get that building back up to that in terms of all sorts of different items that might be going through there because that's obviously going to help everybody in that area. And uh, Oilers Entertainment Group has a lot of investments in that area. Yeah, hundred percent. And how's the net migration been? So you know, there's people are, are migrating to uh, Alberta from Ontario, BC. How has it been in Edmonton in the last say couple of years? Yeah, and I'm just going to glance over here because I I did I, we we have a, a monthly meetup, the Mogul Mastermind that happens on the last Wednesday of every month, and I did the market updates, and so I did talk about a lot of this stuff. So it's great to, to pull on this. So basically, if you look at just in December. Alberta welcomes nearly 20,000 people. Sorry, not December, Q3. So October, November, December. Alberta welcomed uh, a net amount of 20,000 new people to Alberta. And the interesting note on that was Ontario lost a net 12,000 people in the same time period. And we brought that up last week because of the fact that we, and I'm sure uh, you're seeing it down there as well. You know, there's a lot of people from Ontario that are moving here. I first saw that or heard that January of, of last year when um, I had somebody reach out to me and, and uh, you know, oh, great to hear you're coming to Alberta from Ontario. You know, what are the reasons? And so they listed off, you know, obviously real estate prices and that, but they also mentioned the job prospects are really good. And I had not heard that term, good job prospects in Alberta in probably about four or five years. So that was our first indication 
you know, we have on our power team, our mobile power team, we've got a couple of property management companies that we will refer our investors to to use if they want to hire a property management company. And they're a great indicator in regards to, you know, what's happening. Are you seeing an uptick in calls of trying to help people find places? And they said, yes, absolutely. For probably the last six to eight months, they've really seen an uptick of people looking and also uh, a lot of them coming from Ontario. So, so we do feel that there's a lot of great opportunities. Um, you know, one of the unfortunate reasons that we're benefiting is, you know, reason we've got high oil prices is because of what's happening in the Ukraine with the uh, with the war. That obviously is, has caused an uptick in, in oil and gas, and and um, we're uh, we're sure. benefit from that. Yeah, hundred percent. Now I'm going to ask you a question. I know this Edmonton has the advantage over Calgary on this one, but what is your current benchmark price for a detached property? Yeah, so I, I did see that question, and so I, I when we talk about benchmark, I I went to the home price index because that's they always talk about the benchmark price there, and so I did take a look, and so these are um, December stats. Um, we've got January stats coming out on either Thursday or Friday. Right now, based on December stats, our benchmark price is uh, for a single family home is three hundred and seventy three thousand two hundred dollars. So three seventy three is our current benchmark for a single detached. Yeah, and that's great. Like that's that's quite a bit lower than Calgary's. Yeah, sure. well, if I've, I've shared it, I, I love the home price index. Uh, it, it it provides a lot of information, and it's it really was a roller coaster ride. You know, basically going straight up and then coming right back down again throughout the course of 2022, with uh, us having such a strong spring selling season, with so many people wanting to purchase properties before the interest rates went up, and then obviously as the interest rates started to go up, we started to see the the slowdown. And pretty much, I, I didn't pull the number, but it's pretty close to that. Three seventy three is 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 got to be pretty close to where we were in December twenty twenty one. So anybody that was um, selling in the spring of twenty twenty two and and buying in the fall of twenty twenty two certainly did very well. Yeah, for sure. How much have the prices pulled back with the interest rates climbing, even percentage wise? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I don't have, I'd have to dig that up. But basically, as I said, we pretty much came back to where we were uh, the year before. I mean, I know that um, in looking at things last April and May, we, we were seeing in, in a lot of situations, a price increase as high as 15%, which was, again, looking back over the course of the past 10 or 15 years on the H- HPI, that was basically the, the largest seller's market uptick that we'd had in, in over 10 years. And uh, we pretty much have given all that back now. So it was really almost, you know, it's great when you're in it. Although when you're helping buyers, it can be a challenge. I I certainly had a lot of frustrated buyers last year as they were constantly making multiple bids. And even some people that were looking for in the fall of 2021 before things hit, you know, we were talking about, you know, what should we offer on? And then all of a sudden, three or four months later, they're saying, well, what, what, you know, how much below list should we be offering? I said, the market's changed. This is about how how much overlist do you want to offer now? And they just they were blown away that things could change in a matter of three or four months. But uh, that's that's real estate for you. It can suddenly change quite fast. Yeah, definitely. And Calgary is kind of similar. I mean, we did peak as well earlier in 2022, and you know we've pulled back as well, right? Uh, how is the inventory there right now? Is it same as similar to Calgary being on the low? Yeah, side? It, it has been light. I I, uh, I will say it has it has been 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 low for sure. And there are buyers out there. There's a lot of properties that have been on the market and, and sitting that it obviously still potentially you need a price improvement. But those that are um, in good properties in good areas that are 
priced fairly, they're still going quickly and potentially seeing some multiple bids. Um, back from my radio days, and I, I have shared this a lot of people, and I've yet to be shown incorrect, but we used to talk about that we feel fortunate for being in Edmonton, because if you live in Edmonton and you're in the business community and, and, and looking at economics and that, that, we're fortunate to have a crystal ball. And that crystal ball is Calgary. And because Calgary is really the, the epicenter of Alberta, you know, good things are going to happen to Calgary first. And so when Calgary is starting to move, that ripple effect will mean that eventually it'll come up Highway 2 to Edmonton. And so when Calgary, when we feel like, uh, you know, geez, things aren't necessarily going in Edmonton, but we talk to people in Calgary and things are happening in Calgary, then we can assume that within the next six to 12 months, you can probably think things are going to be similar in Edmonton. So I do look at that from a business opportunity there that if it looks like Calgary is going, is going that uh, there's an opportunity to get into Edmonton before Edmonton catches fire as well. That's, that's interesting that, that there's that lead leg uh, that happens. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to a, a long ago uh, course that I took in real estate where somebody said, you know, start, start in a major market and, uh, you know, stop into every small town real estate office and just keep driving out. You know, you stop into a real estate office and say, how's business? Oh my gosh, it's crazy. It's booming. Prices are insane. And you just keep driving out until you stop into that small town where the real estate agent says, geez, I don't know. Everything's hot and things haven't happened here yet. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> Say that's where you should buy right there. Is that ripples coming? <laughs> yeah, that's great. The wave is on its way. Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. So in Edmonton, what do you see in investors buy? What's what's an attractive property for a lot of the investors on the detached side? Yeah. So we, uh, if if you're obviously everybody wants cash flow, uh, so at the bare minimum, we we recommend a a, a legally suited property or conforming suites. And uh, if and a lot of times people, especially newer investors, will migrate towards that because um, there's just more of them. It's a lower price point to get in, and it's the, there's less learning curve. Obviously, when everybody is is new buying, it's it's all about buying that property and all the things that go along with it. But as I do like to remind my investor clients, that's a very short term thing. I said if you own that property for ten years. And, and especially if you're buying other properties, you'll hardly remember that process of buying that property. But what you do have for the next 10 years is the tenants. And so that's where um, there, there's a huge learning curve there. And, and I do find that a lot of investors, not all of them, but a lot of investors, they'll get that first property and maybe they hope to be buying that next property a little quicker. But they, um, you know, they, it does take some getting used to the fact that, you know, now they've, they, they're dealing with people and, and all the things that go along with that. If people um, have the financial ability, we do really like to see side-by-side uh, -side duplexes with legal suites. That's something that I'm not sure if that's happened in Calgary yet. If it is, then you know, keep an eye on when that happens. But basically about six or seven years ago, the city allowed side-by-side -side duplexes to have legal suites put in them. And uh, that's a huge advantage there because... Um, I would suggest that all things being equal from a fourplex to a side-by-side -side duplex, uh, same neighborhood, same square footage, same amenities, same conditions, same age, all that stuff, that you're going to buy that side-by-side, -side, you know, fifty dollars to $60,000 less than you potentially would a fourplex. So that all is going to benefit from a cash flow situation. 
the other thing as well, some other advantages, if you can, you know, you have the financial wherewithal to get into a side-by-side is, you know, everybody maxes out at about seven to nine mortgages. And so let's say, you know, you know, you're going to max out at eight mortgages. Well, if you buy eight condos or eight single family homes, you have eight doors. But if you go and buy eight side-by-side duplexes with legal suites, now you've got 32 doors and you're still using just that same eight mortgages. So there's a huge advantage there. Um, The other thing as well is, especially if you're self-managing or else even from a standpoint, if you hire a property manager, maybe they're willing to give you a bit of a discount because of the fact that they're able to go, you know, if you're giving them a portfolio of eight single family homes and they're all over the place, there's a lot of drive time. There's a lot of, you know, energy expenditure for just one tenants. But if you've got a a side-by-side with um, legal suites, then you've got that property manager yourself being able to take care of four tenants at once. So there's definitely some some economies of scale there from that standpoint. But most people focus on legal suites just because it's 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 kind of like a bit of a bite size. You know, I can get in there, I can I can get used to the idea, and then if they've got the financial wherewithal, they might jump to a side by side with legal suites after that. Yeah, it is. It's definitely very strategic, just for this, the reasons you mentioned there, and it's it's something investors are looking for in Calgary as well. For an Edmonton, how difficult? So let's say you get that duplex and you buy it with maybe illegal suites in the basement. How difficult is it now to convert that and get it legalized and recognized by the city of Edmonton? I mean, obviously the city wants them to be all conforming. They want them all to, to, to have the sticker, but there's thousands of them. So it's difficult for the city to be on track of all of them. And in a lot of cases, the city will just, well, either they don't know about them or else they just kind of, you know, let dogs lie, so to speak. If um, the neighbors aren't complaining, um, there's been no complaints and no issues and stuff like that. But officially, the city wants those to be legalized. Um, they the the last set of um, policy change and regulation on that, I believe, came out in 2019, where they made it so that you had to have two heat sources, meaning two furnaces, each furnace uh, providing heat to each unit, or else you had to have one furnace and then the basement suite would have uh, baseboard heating. Ultimately, there probably is a lot of ways that you can retrofit and and make it. But I've talked to enough contractors who are in the business full-time and they will tell you that the true most cost-effective way to make this happen is to just gut the unit take it right down to the studs and the main reason for that is because the city wants to see what's behind the walls and what's in the ceiling you know they they want to see the plumbing they want to see the electrical they want to see all the guts that's going on and if if you are just kind of retrofitting things and stuff like that, then they'll come into that suite and they'll say, well, this is great, but I need to see behind these walls. I don't know what's going on there. So it would be the best course of action to simply just pull the entire whatever's in there out. And so that's why I do have some investors that are really looking hard for properties that might have minimal stuff in the basement or possibly even still have a unfinished basement because that's going to save them three to $5,000 in demoing that that uh, property and of course every every thousand dollars is a big deal when it comes to uh to, to somebody that's uh either trying to flip the property or or do a a burr stra- uh burr yeah it, it makes sense i i did a rental on a 59 bungalow before and and i've done rentals on new houses and it's much easier to start with a clean basement than it is with going in there and trying to work on something a mess that's been made for you know multiple different people working on it over the years and uh, it's it's much slower and more tedious to to fix that as opposed to a clean you know slate to work on. 
Yeah. And, and another comment as well that the contractors have told me is, is if you, you want to know what's ahead of you, if you're kind of working without necessarily pulling things out and stuff like that, you might open up a wall and find out that you can't carry on with the plan you had because you run into this unforeseen um, obstacle. Whereas if you just take it right down, then even another thing as well that somebody has said is when they talk about getting it right down to the studs, they mean all nails are out, all little bits of drywall, all that stuff. Like don't, don't demo it 95, 96% of the way there. You got to go hundred percent because that stuff's just going to again, come back and bite you in the butt when you're, when you are starting to do the renovation. Yeah. So that some of the extra you know that stuff, too from your renos. Oh, definitely. Something you obviously you'd have to look for then as an investor is do, does it have adequate parking? Because that's not something you're going to be able to change very easily uh, doing that conversion, right? To for the city to approve it. The city's yeah, the, the city has relaxed on that a little bit, but for sure they they still look at that. Um, one of the biggest comments that I will talk about with uh with people just in terms of if they are running a, especially if they decided to, to have that doesn't have the sticker and could potentially be shut down is, you know, don't put a family of six upstairs and a family of five downstairs and, and, you know, and, you know, six of those 11 people drive cars and uh, you know, it's always noisy and people coming and going and there's cars everywhere. That's going to attract a lot of attention from, from neighbors. The neighbors are going to get upset and neighbors are going to call the police and say, Something's up at this house. Please go check it out. And that's what's going to find out. So whether you're legal or not, ultimately, you want to make sure that you are enhancing the neighborhood. You're not being a detriment to the neighborhood and, and causing a lot of issues and concerns. Uh, you know, even from the standpoint of uh, I, I know some people that will make sure when they purchase a house that they uh, either before or after or both are knocking on the doors of the neighbors in and around to say, this is what I'm thinking and this is what I'm doing. And I'm, you know, I'm an investor that wants to enhance this community. And if you have any problems, here's my card, please give me a call. And then on top of that, what you can also do is say, oh, by the way, uh, if you ever think about selling, please give me a call first. <laughs> Smart. That's great. Now, so let's talk about detached because I'm familiar with Calgary uh, and what investors are doing. But let's say in Edmonton, you know, if you're an investor and you have a detached home with an illegal suite, what are the steps of process and what's required by the city to, to make that basement suite legal? Right. Well, and the first thing is to know that as soon as you engage with the city, you're in. There's no kind of, uh, you know, I mean, you can phone and, you know, do the hypothetical in that. But if you're <laughs> saying, hey, I own yeah. this unit. I've got uh, a friend uh, who's there. <laughs> that's, that's right. Yeah. If you're being honest and what that is, you're you're committed. But it basically would be having that, that initial com conversation with the city and making sure that they understand what's going on. You've got to go through the permits and get everything lined up there, you know, map out your plan. Usually it takes about five to six months. Anybody that tells you it's less than that in Edmonton, that, that's not happening. It is five to six months to, to get a legal suite converted. And that's just, again, because you're at the, the mercy of waiting for the city. So you really want to get a good idea in regards to, you know, how long is it going to take for permits? I know a lot of people will try to get, if they're purchasing a house with the expectation that they're going to be putting a legal suite in, they will write in the contract that they're able to start the permitting process before they even take possession, that they're going to be able to go in there and take photos and measurements and all that stuff before they take possession. Speed is of the essence. And you never, ever want to be in a position where you're waiting for the city, you know, or you're done. And then all of a sudden you've got a three week wait and you're just, you're just sitting there waiting for the city to come in. Um, you want to, you want to map out in regards to, especially now with supply chain issues, you want to know how 
going to take to get that furnace in, get that hot water tank in, get all the materials in. People that are really good and do it lots, they're up to speed on that. They can manage that. But if you're looking at doing your your first flip, yes, it's going to be more expensive, which means it's going to cut into your profit, but you might want to hire a general contractor and learn from them in regards to how that all goes. Because ultimately, if you're not constantly pushing forward, you're going to get caught and it's going to become very expensive. But basically, and then just making sure you're you're in constant communication with the city and, and knowing when they're going to come in. They're going to come in a few times. You know, they're going to check plumbing. They're going to check electrical. They're going to come in at their, you know, no different than if you're kind of building a new house. There's certain time periods where the city has to come in and, and give their okay before you can carry on. It's the same thing with the, the legal suite. And any so is there any advantage to buying one with an existing illegal suite? If, like, because it sounds like you still have to do the separate furnace, and just like we were describing in the duplex. Well, I think there's lots of advantages to. There's lots of people that run illegal suites, which I I, I will say I just in case uh, he's watching. There's a property manager that told me when I used the illegal suite term last Wednesday, mogul mastermind, he said, you know, it's, it's non-conforming, non-conforming is the word. It's not like they're, you know, illegal makes it sound like the city's going to haul away in handcuffs, but it, they're not. But lots of people buy and run illegal suites for 10 or 20 years. And there's never any issue. Again, I think it's because of the fact that they are very sensitive to the type of tenant that they're putting in there. They're not, again, filling it with four or five or six people or, or making sure that this person's going to be a problem. About and this isn't these are approximate percentages, but you know, 80 about 80% of the time an illegal suite gets called out because of the neighbors. And it's usually because of the lack of parking. The other 15 to 18% of the time, it's because the tenant has uh falling out with the owner or the landlord and um, moves out. And then the very next day the city's knocking on the door. And I do have a client that that actually happened to. They had a falling out, the tenant moved out. And the very next day, the city knocked on the door and said, I understand you have a non-conforming suite. And they basically caused her to, to you know, cap the 220 and, and shut the suite down. And then they will flag you. Now, I know that this person is running this illegal or this non-conforming suite again, um, even though it's been flagged by the city and uh, they've been running it for two years and um, no issues. But the city officially wants to, you know, have people living in conforming legal suites, primarily for fire safety and noise. Having said that, the city also recognizes that these non-conforming suites are providing a service. And if it's owned by a, a good owner or landlord and, and they're providing you know, a clean property and something that people are, are, are safe in, then they will you know, not necessarily look the other way, but they might not necessarily get around to it as quick as they would if, if they've got something that's uh, that's uh, being complained against. But we recommend a lot of times to people that if they have a non-conforming suite and it does have the, the proper safety things, you know, proper egress and good fireproofing and various things like that. I mean, there is a certain situation where, you know, if it's a death trap, it really just shouldn't be used. But uh, if somebody is cognizant of all the safety measures and, and stuff like that, you know, there, there shouldn't be any reason why they would necessarily need to move forward. Now, one of the things as well that I will say uh, in regards to um, a property manager that's licensed with, um, you know, with RECA is they can't take on illegal, uh, in non-conforming suite. It's against their license rules. So it could be where you have to hire a non-licensed property manager 
or, um, you know, potentially manage it yourself because there's a lot of people that won't do that because they don't want to jeopardize the license. That's a good piece of information to know. And obviously, and most investors are aware that when you go to qualify on a mortgage, uh, you know, your lenders aren't going to look at that non-conforming suite income either. That's right. That's true as well. So in, in Calgary, there's a bit of a difference. The city does view it differently. It's on my other podcast, but basically 2018 is their line in the sand. If you're an investor in Calgary, it's always better to buy something that was non-conforming and in existence prior to 2018, because then to legalize it, they're not going to make you put in that second furnace. Uh, they will want, you know, maybe baseboard heating, that kind of thing, but there's some differences there. So it's more strategic to find one in Calgary with an illegal non-conforming suite that's prior to 2018. Because uh, just for the rental costs and the changes are, are quite a bit less, but you're still going to need the egress windows, the separate entrance, fire rating, smoke detectors, all that stuff still required, right? Uh, obviously, right. kitchen, all that stuff. But uh, yeah, so it's interesting to hear the differences in the cities of, of Alberta, what's required by each um, municipality. How does the city of Edmonton look at short-term rentals? Is it hard to have a short-term rental there? The, the most interesting thing that I've heard about short-term rentals in Edmonton is that they've grown exponentially. I don't know necessarily whether or not this is an accurate number. So uh, take this with a grain of salt, but it was pretty dramatic. And that's short-term rental usage in Edmonton increased something like 800%, which is very impressive. But I also heard that the number of short-term rentals that increased in Edmonton went up by 1,200%. So you've got more inventory than you have demand. So that's the biggest thing I would say that the most interesting thing I've heard is that, you know, inventory or, or capacity is outstripping demand right now. And so that's making it challenging because obviously that puts downward pressure on prices and, and makes you need to make sure you're always investing in the property to make sure it looks as good as possible. And the other thing as well that I've heard is that basically I've never really heard anybody. I mean, it's interesting what you said about some people having short-term rentals in downtown Edmonton that didn't necessarily work out because what I hear 90 plus percent of the time is regardless of where they are, they it's successful. Now, the term success is a relative word. You know, it could be that, hey, I'm not losing money or it could be that this is the most amazing cash cow ever. But there are a lot of buildings specific that don't allow short-term rentals, but the city as a whole is certainly understanding that this is something that's not going away. Are they open to it? Sure. Yeah, because of the because of the growth, for sure. They're not necessarily at this point putting on any sort of major restrictions or anything like that, but it is a constant thing that the city is monitoring for sure. Yeah. The area that I that I heard about was actually just north of Rogers Center in that area. Someone tried to do a short-term rental and it because of the rough uh, that area, would be, yeah. 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 That, that would be, yeah, I wouldn't have necessarily recommended that. So when I, you know, the successful ones are are um, south south of Rogers Place. We're actually in the right in the actual downtown core where the where the high rises are. That makes sense. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about quadrants. So when I'm in Edmonton, it seems like I'm always in Northwest Edmonton. Um, mm-hmm. can, can you kind of explain that? Is it the whole city of Edmonton is Northwest? Do you have any- oh yeah, yes. Yeah. So that's correct. So so way back when Edmonton and Calgary were both starting out whoever designs the streets and avenue system in Calgary did it right, where they've got a center street and a center avenue and the four quadrants go out. So you have a a Northwest, a Northeast, a Southwest, a Southeast. 
what they decided to do in Edmonton was the center of the city was going to be 100th Street and 100th Avenue. And, and there's so many crazy stories about how nobody ever thought that the Edmonton would become this big and certainly not this big this fast. It's why they put a whole bunch of uh, streetlights on Yellowhead Trail, which is our major east-west, you know, it's basically the Yellowhead Highway. And um, we're now in the process of a 25-year, $1 billion upgrade. Just lots of other stories that I won't necessarily get into. But what happened is, is as we worked our way down to pretty much where the Anthony Hendy is, which is our ring road, we hit First Street and we couldn't go negative. And, and then also to the to the east, then we run into Sher- to Sherwood Park. But mostly when we went to the south, we, we hit First Street or sorry, First Avenue because avenues run east-west. And so, you know, what was the city going to do? The city decided to adopt the quadrant system of Calgary and basically made the entire city of Edmonton northwest. If you go south of the Anthony Henday, you are in the southwest. And then I do know that in the northeast corner off the Anthony Henday, there, there I helped somebody buy a property there last last fall, and they are in the northeast quadrant. And I, I it's one of the last things I reminded them. Remember, you always have to put northeast after your um, after your address. So I'm deep in the southeast. Like I I live on you know I'm in the what we would consider the deep southeast part of the city, and my address has northwest at the end of it. But that's why because we we hit that zero streets and zero avenue and you know the only way we could fix it was by sticking northwest in front of it or at it that is interesting so yeah because i'm quite familiar with calgary and i've you know book a hotel in edmonton or something i'm looking yeah. i'm like what in the heck how am i how is this still northwest edmonton yeah. Yeah. right no matter you know if you're like in the, what i would consider looking at the map in a southwest location it's your your northwest yeah, yeah. Yeah, they technically there is no such thing as southeast yet. They haven't haven't built it yet because it would be on the other side of the Anthony Henday. So I'm sure in another five or ten years when they jump the Anthony Henday to keep building houses, those addresses will be southeast. But right now there's I've only seen obviously northwest for most of the city. Anything south of the Henday is southwest. And then there's this small community in the northeast on the other side, again, outside the Anthony Henday that is uh, northeast. Interesting. And then we mentioned uh, some uh, communities earlier on in the podcast here. Do you see investors, because maybe the prices are a little better, that kind of thing, do you see many buying in some of these communities just outside Edmonton? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll go back. Now, this is pre-COVID, but um, uh, for anybody that's familiar with the Real Estate Investment Network, that's where a lot of us at Mogul got trained and and I'm still an online member and they, they deliver a lot of great content. They've always been really good for information. And one of the great things that they used to put, well, they still put out is the top 10 towns. So they would have the top 10 towns in BC, top 10 towns in Alberta, top 10 towns in Ontario. And I've been a member of Rain since 2008. And in 15, 17 years, I've been a member, there's only been about three times that Edmonton has not been number one. It lost its number one position to Calgary, which was always number two. And whenever Calgary moved to that number one position was because, as I talked about before, when things are going good, Calgary's going to go go first and it's going to go fastest. So there's they would move up there. And then there would be other communities. Um, like I remember St. Albert got on there for a couple of years when the Anthony Hendy was being built because uh, a big uh, variable that will increase uh, real estate values is improved transportation. But uh, prior to COVID, 
Calgary had taken that number one position again, and Edmonton was number two. But what was to me more telling was that three of the other communities on that top 10 list were uh, Spruce Grove, Fort Saskatchewan, and Ladue. And those are surrounding areas of Edmonton. And so that always told me that 40% of this list, Edmonton and those three smaller communities, make up the top 10 towns. And in the past, St. Albert's been on there and and uh, Devon's been on there. So it just basically helped to me reinforce, you know, other towns that were always on there was always Grand Prairie and Red Deer and uh, Lacombe has been on there. Airdrie has been on there. I mean, when you kind of think about it, you go, of course, like these are great, big, wonderful, growing communities. Of course, they're going to be on there. But it just has always reinforced to me that anywhere in the Edmonton area is going to be really solid. Now, the dis- the biggest disadvantage to these smaller communities is just less product, you know, so there's always something that we can probably find for an investor, depending on what sort of um, category they're looking for, whether it's a flip or to do a burr or do a buy and hold or something like that. Those opportunities are in those smaller communities as well. And keep in mind, when I say smaller communities, you know, St. Albert is 70,000 people. Sherwood Park is 110,000 people. So these are massive communities. And, and, and so there is great opportunity there. They are always a little bit more, or at least for sure, sure the, the three that are always perpetually more expensive than Edmonton are St. Albert, Sherwood Park, and Beaumont. So, um, but there's, um, they're great communities and, uh, and, and people that I know that invest in those communities, they, they never have any complaints about them. Yeah, for sure. That's some great information about those surrounding communities. Um, the Calgary rental market, I mean, we have a really low vacancy rate and, you know, you put up a, a property up for rental, there's probably 20, 30 applicants in less than 24 hours. What What is it like right now in Edmonton for people putting up rental properties? Yeah, it's it's increasing. I've seen a couple of articles recently, like I just uh, saw one that I'll be bringing up at our February mastermind that rental uh, rates have hit uh, a 10-year low. I'd have to pull up. Uh, I, I do recall seeing that we were, you know, we were floating around, you know, seven plus percent and that we're down to uh, about 5.6 to 5.8, I believe. But it has hit a a low. We are seeing lots of what you know the old term, the green shoots. There's there's uh, like just again from what I brought up in our presentation last Wednesday, we've got some really good infrastructure programs going on in terms of uh, they're building a, a major new overpass out near Leduc, which is going to help get uh, better access to the Edmonton Airport. Porter Airlines is coming. Um, I remember my brother-in-law working for Porter. It was a purely Eastern-based business-focused airlines, they fly uh, Dash 8s, and uh, they're coming to Edmonton. That's a, a huge uh, uh, uptick for, for Edmonton in regards to, you know, what's what's happening there. There was another indicator, this is for Alberta, another article I read that said that uh, a survey suggests that 65% of businesses in Alberta expect to hire more this year. So that's a great, uh, great indicator as well. Another, you know, interesting indicator was uh, NAIT, Northern Alberta Institute of Technology is is increasing its welder program. There's this shortage of welders. And so they've got to encourage more people to take welding so that they can satisfy that. So there's all sorts of wonderful opportunities happening in Edmonton. And as it, the, you know, the word spreads that there's all these job opportunities, that's going to bring population growth. And like I always used to tell people that if I was ever going to write an investment book that could only have one word, that word would be jobs. And because jobs brings people, people come, they need a place to live. Um, and again, this is, you know, teachings from rain. Uh, 
when I first started coming out, all these people come, most of them rent, they rent for an average of two years, and then they do one of three things. They either continue renting, they purchase a property, or they move back to where they came from. And so as more people come and more people rent, that brings, brings vacancy down. When vacancy goes down, rents go up. Eventually, when rents go up enough, the people go, I can't believe I'm spending so much money on rent. I think I'm going to buy a property. People start to buy, and that's what makes real estate values go up. And that's this, this process um, that I think we're in the very beginning part of. It's starting with a need for jobs and people coming to the province to live. Yeah, for sure. That's awesome. So we're getting close to the end of the podcast. I'm going to hit you just a kind of bit more personal type questions for the last few. Sure. So what's an app or software you'd either use for your business or personally that you couldn't live without? Yeah, I, I thank you for giving me that heads up. I thought long and hard about that. And uh, most of the stuff that I literally can't live without is, is realtor focused stuff that, um, you know, I do talk to some old timer realtors that didn't have things such as showing time. And, uh, you know, they've got, you know, Paragon Connect now and all these wonderful things that you can do on the fly. So I don't have necessarily anything investor specific, but the one thing I would say right now that is not just with myself, but has become a, a great crazy tool that people are fooling around with would be chat GPT. <laughs> That's something that uh, as we all talked about it in our sales meeting yesterday. And James, the owner of Mogul said it best that the only limitation of that is the limitation of the questions that we can come up with to ask it. You know, we've all challenged ourselves to be asking, you know, I mean, him and his fiance, they'll throw six ingredients into it and say, come up with a recipe and it'll, you know, kick out, you know, some, some meal and they'll cook it and it'll be amazing. <laughs> uh, so not only just in terms of, you know, trying to expand, you know, how to use it just from a, you know, the limits of our imagination, but also just in terms of how we can use this to further systematize things in real estate, because Corey, as you would know, it, you know, it, real estate transaction is very linear. You're doing the same thing over and over again. And so, you know, if you're dealing with a lot of people, you want to try to make sure that things can get done in a, in a timely fashion and in, in and as easy a way as possible. And so we're really pushing ourselves to find out how best we can use chat GPT to make the world of real estate simpler, faster, better for everybody. Yeah, it's it's pretty amazing what it's yeah. able to do. Now there's actually, you probably know, but there's a wait list. So if you didn't sign up, I think like a couple of weeks ago or a month ago and didn't know about it, they actually were overwhelmed with people trying to to basically sign up and they had to, they stopped it. And there's a wait list uh, to, to actually even use I, it. I, I was not aware of that, but uh, you know, I, we, we just talked about how long before they start charging. <laughs> yeah, no, people will pay like hundred percent. Like it's amazing how that can shortcut your workload on you know yeah. almost everything. Yes, uh, you could just tell it, okay, I have a job posting, uh, tell it some details, uh, create a job, and it'll just spit it out in a matter of a minute. Yeah, I guess the only limitation that someone in the office brought up was uh, they tried to ask for some current stats. And I guess they're only current up to the end of 2021. But I'm sure with a new, you know, always updating, they'll have more current stats. And it, it was, uh, anyway, so it was uh, Adrian from our office who was doing um we do these neighborhood um, spotlights and uh, we were doing it on, he was doing it on the Millwoods community and uh, was looking for some current stats and it wasn't able to provide, but I'm sure they'll fix that quickly. You know, and uh, wait till kids get onto this, either their grades are going to go through the roof and <laughs> they're not gonna, I don't know. I don't think they're going to get any uh, smarter from it, but they're going to be streamlining uh, their work a lot. I think that's right. Yes. <laughs> okay. And then what's something people can't find out about you from Google? Is there anything 
come to mind? Yeah, nothing, you know, uh, nothing really too much. You know, obviously, uh, you know, family focus. I like to spend time with my two boys and my wife and, you know, like to golf, like to ski um, and like to stay focused on real estate. So there's nothing uh, too dark or sinister that I'm <laughs> not on Google. No, uh, yeah, I was actually just because it's just a question because some people, you know, aren't yeah, very, great question. very, very present online and other yeah. people, everything yeah. is online, right? That's right. Um, how about a favorite book or movie? Do you got one? Well, a favorite movie is easy. That would be, well, I've got two. It would be Forrest Gump or The Shawshank Redemption. And I just say that because my family bugs me all the time whenever it's on. It's just have to watch it. So <laughs> I love those two movies. Uh, I don't really have a favorite book, but I can tell you two books that I, I um, pick up consistently to use as a resource and kind of get me back on track. And that would be uh, The One Thing. And then also Atomic Habits. And, and that's actually a, a, a team, a mogul team exercise right now, whether you're listening to it on Audible or just reading it and, um, on the page is to uh, be reading on Atomic Habits. And, and that is definitely something is, I would recommend both books to everybody, but Atomic Habits for sure, because it's top of mind right now is a, a great way to just basically break old habits and start new ones. Um, yeah, it's a great read. Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks so much for being on the show today, Devin. You really provided a lot of a great insights to the Edmonton market and what investors are potentially looking for there. Uh, what's the best way for people to find you that listen to the podcast, uh, find you, your phone number, webpage? Sure. Well, I am on Twitter and LinkedIn and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, so just Devin, D-E-V-I-N, and the last name is Gray, G-R-A-Y. You can find me at uh, the Mogul Realty Group website. Uh, my email is devin, D-E-V-I-N, at mogulrg.com. And my cell phone is 780-951-9279. Awesome. And there'll be links in the show notes as well. So Perfect. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you. It was a real pleasure and I enjoyed it a lot. Thank you. Me too. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Calgary Real Estate Investing Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Peckford. I'm an investment-focused real estate agent in Calgary, Alberta. I'm also an entrepreneur, Red Seal electrician, and I hold a Master Home Inspection Certification. If you're thinking about investing in the Calgary area, please reach out and let me put my real estate expertise to work for you. I can be reached at 587-893-2272. Follow me on Instagram at PeckfordCorey, or my website is CoreyPeckford.com. Plus, we have a Facebook group. It's Calgary Real Estate Investing Group, so Craig for short. Please follow that. If you're getting great value from this podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star review. That would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.